Welcome to another episode of Get in the Mood. My name is Oliver Wong. I was trying to sing opera because I obviously cannot sing. <laughs> well, what's new, cuties? Okay, so something new about me. So recently, I have been meditating a lot. Well, I used to meditate as well, but I just didn't stick to it. But, you know, just from uh, starting from last week, I was like, okay, I want to get back to it. So I have been uh, meditating every day, twice a day. And then I found this Netflix series is called Headspace Guide to Meditation. It's like an eight episode series uh, and each episode is only like 20 minutes and it's animation. So basically the creator of the series, they use like these drawings, illustration to, to, to teach you uh, meditation techniques. And it's really uh, amazing and it's really easy to digest. So I think if you are interested in meditation and need a basic guide, hey, definitely check out this series. Headspace Guide to Meditation, okay? Well, coincidentally, today's guest also meditates. Her name is Lian Chang. But by the way, meditation is not the primary focus of our conversation. It's just a fun fact about her. All right, anyways, Lian Chang is a photographer with roots in marketing and branding. Some of her clients include HBO and the Grammy-nominated Trey Songs. So uh, I've known Lian for how many years? Maybe three or four years. She's one of my best friends in Los Angeles after I moved here. Yeah, she is so smart, intelligent, and well-spoken. And uh, she grew up both in the United States and in Taiwan. So she has a biocultural background. And we definitely, uh, I definitely had a great time chatting with her about her experience uh, living in two different countries and of course we talk about some spicy topics like you know dicks and stuff so please stick around for the entire episode let's go this podcast is brought to you by captain daddy are you looking for a sugar daddy i am haha <laughs> Captain Daddy is a grocery shopping delivery service where you can hire a sugar daddy to shop groceries and personally deliver them to you. Captain Daddy connects you with local sugar daddies who are eager to help you with your life, need hot wings and chocolate cupcakes, but feeling too lazy to go out. Well, you can find a sugar daddy on Captain Daddy. Not only will your sugar daddy deliver food to you in a luxurious vehicle, but he will also offer to be your company of the day. Yep, with just one click away, you can be in the passenger seat of his Tesla. If you prefer staying in, of course, your Captain Daddy is always down to be a snuggler. Hiring a sugar daddy on Captain Daddy does not cost you any money. What? It's free? How come? Yeah, it's free. Cause what? Sugar daddy need no money from their babies. They just want to see you smile and hear you say, I, I, Captain Daddy. Due to the increased demand of this service, every customer can only order one sugar daddy per month. But if you use the promo code Oliver, you can order as many as you want per day. 
and they come in different colors and sizes. Just remember, sugar daddies don't like to run into other sugar daddies. Make sure you space out your appointments. Go on CaptainDaddy.com and find your Captain Daddy today. This commercial is created for entertainment purposes only. The product that was advertised does not exist. Let's get into Let's get into me. Let's get into me. Hi, so Lian. Hi, Oliver. <laughs> wow, you're so excited. <laughs> I don't know. I was so nervous and excited. Yeah, so you were <laughs> never that excited when you actually hang out with me. That is true. Yeah. No, but that is why I like hanging out with you yeah. because yeah. I get to just be like my very natural energy. Yeah. Because I think being Taiwanese, we're more used to having silences in our conversation. Right. Exactly. But yeah, but now that I know like this is being consumed by other people and we have to like entertain them. It's I performative. Like, yes, I know. I need to like bring my on-camera personality. Right. <laughs> I'm so exhausted already. Do you want to talk about your photography? Yeah, sure. So I've been living in downtown for seven years now. Yeah. And for the first six years, I lived... And, and you know this, like Skid Row adjacent mm. in a um, low-income housing building. In there many times. <laughs> yes. It's really adjacent, literally. It's, it's very, yeah, it's very much borderline Skid Row. Um, yeah. And I really appreciated that time in my life because it gave, it was it was very, very cheap. It was very tiny. It was like 250 square feet. Um, but it was the time where I was going through trauma recovery. And I think had that not been available to me, I wouldn't have been able to live in such a vibrant neighborhood in the city like i lived in a really crappy part of that vibrant neighborhood mm. but um yeah like i just you know i appreciate the fact that there was like low-income housing and and my neighbors were all a trip they were all very interesting um but um so what happened was i you know i would walk my dogs and walk around the neighborhood and i started noticing when you're at that like street level mm. and there's so many people and like sceneries change every day. So like these like graffiti artists would come in, they would graffiti over something. And then you can see people's like art improving, their graffiti art improving, you know, every few months down the road. Right. It was such, it was like so much like life in that way. Or like these people that you see, um, that normally if you didn't get to live near Skid Row, your eyes would just like, gloss over them or you wouldn't pay attention to them or it would be like too hard for you to look at yeah you know um but like i was forced i was confronted with it every day and i had to mm. you know pay attention because you know obviously i had to like worry about also my personal safety um so i started because it was just so visually striking to me and i needed some way to like process it and let it go so i started taking photos on my phone and then it did get to a certain point where it just felt like the phone wasn't good enough. The iPhone camera wasn't good enough in capturing some of the things that I saw. So um, I decided to sign up for a photography class and like stupidly didn't even think I needed a camera. <laughs> and then somehow like started talking to you about it and you so generously was like, oh, I have a camera. Do you want to borrow my camera? I was like, oh, I'm not sure. using it. Yeah. I know, you're like, I'm not using it. Um, you're like, 
I remember you were like, yeah, I thought I enjoyed photography. And then I realized I just like being photographed. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. I'm really I know, honest. I know. I you're like, no, I don't want to be behind the camera. I want to be in front of the camera. Yeah. So um, I borrowed your camera and then took that photography class. And it kind of just like started taking off from there. Um, I had developed such a love for street photography. Yeah. And I think for me, it's a way to surface things that, people ignore like mm, so downtown LA is very controversial because especially through the pandemic like um Skid Row has really expanded as well um I love downtown and it's a very weird existence from anywhere else in LA where it's more spread out and yeah. clean and stuff um I I love the density because I grew up in Taipei yeah. um I don't mind the smells as much because Taiwan's also a little smelly sometimes right. um but I just love being near so many people and being like in community with so many people. Like I know the people at my dog park. I know the people at certain coffee shops. Um, For me, that was a real sense of neighborhood. Um, And it it gave me a sense of like home as well, especially because I moved around so much as a kid and it wasn't really up to me where I lived. So the fact that I almost felt like I could uh, craft like an existence for my own was very empowering and reassuring. Um, so I started like walking around and taking more photos and then I started taking more classes and moved into portrait photography. Um, and then you made me take photos of you mm-hmm. and then uh-huh. where it's like always asking, should I take off my shirt? Should I take it on? And it's like, no, you can keep it on. It's I lend <laughs> my camera to you. Of course. <laughs> I know. Like, should I take off my shirt? Um, yeah. And now, uh, so actually, yeah, it's, I'm, um, I'm really, uh, and then I did a, um, so one of my favorite things to do in photography is work on concept shoots with friends. Mm. So I've done one for uh, my friends where they cosplayed like a video game based in like the 80s Hong Kong. Mm. So we oh, scoped oh, out a location yeah, yeah. in Chinatown. Yeah, it was very 80s feel. It was great. Um, they really loved how it looked and the video game makers like loved the images and how it came out as well. Yeah. And then I did one, uh, another one for my friend, Anthony Ma, he's such a huge, like Bruce Lee fan. Yeah. So we channeled like the seventies era and then we took some old photographs of Bruce Lee that we all liked. Uh, we built, you know, their wardrobe around it. And then, uh, we did a family shoot around that too. So, and then I'm planning an upcoming one with a pregnant friend. So that'll be super exciting. Yes. Um, we want to like, yeah, take images of her, her body, her changing body as she's going through it. Um, yeah. So those are my, you know, favorite shoes to work on. It's really like amping up who you are and then, and then something like also definitely like in nowadays you can show off like on social media. I'm going to take you to a gay nude beach. (laughs) Okay. I mean, but if it's gay, am I allowed? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I would imagine there's like, well, well, what's like a gay nude beach like? It's just like a bunch of gay people, a bunch of gay dudes, right? And they are just lying on the sand and stuff. Yeah. Are they hot or is it more like older gay men? Both a mix. Okay, cool. And you don't want to go there, but there usually will be like a bush area for sex. Oh, yeah. I probably, I love how any place, like, from your stories, gay men can just make it a sex place. Yeah, we do it for recreational purposes. I know. Yeah. It's we'll just be like randomly talking and be like, hey, did you know there was like a sex spot there? I was like, no. <laughs> what? Yeah. One in Koreatown. I know. One at Runyon Canyon. <laughs> yes. In everywhere. I know. Yeah. I was just like last time I went to Runyon, I was looking around, I was like, no, that can't be it. <laughs> I was like, but you can 
can check out my photography website at bylianchen.com. And um, I am like, I do sessions and stuff. So you can book a session with me. Yeah. And what is your email? How do people? Oh, yeah. um, well, the email is on the website, but the website is spelled B-Y-L-I-E-N-C-H-E-N by lianchen.com. So it's like, you know, because I, I was working in corporate environment as well. And, you know, working in corporate environment is like, you need to be so logical, practical. Yes. You don't, you don't feel. Yeah, it's, it's very buttoned up. Buttoned yeah, up all your feelings. It's just yes. not a creative environment. No. And now you are transitioning to photography, which oh. is like, you need to capture feelings, yes. emotions. Yes. Like, how do you feel about the, the change? Um, It's very freeing. Um, You know, I am still involved with like community groups that are more business oriented. Mm -hmm. And I think I enjoy that stretch yeah. of going from super organized, like quick and like proactive, let's get spell sheets like going and like action items. And like, I enjoy that, but then I enjoy leaning into, you know, hanging out with my artist friends like you guys yeah. and like actually talking about feelings right. and feeling like I can just like let loose and be like whatever shape I want. Um, so yeah, so I think, that duality maybe comes from being bicultural as well, uh -huh. where I enjoy a duality of sometimes being in Taiwan, sometimes being here. And then that duality of like sometimes being very buttoned up and like, you know, a little bit more assertive, I guess. And then um, some on the other side being, yeah, like more artistic. And I think part of it is also an exercise for me to show up in corporate spaces and right talk about my feelings mm. where like people don't really talk about their feelings. Right. So I think maybe that's my way of rebelling of just like getting on a zoom call with like a bunch of business people and be like, well, <laughs> I'm the weirdo that started a <laughs> film festival. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. About the festival, you were uh, the co-founder. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Taiwanese American film festival, um, which is a great platform that we started um, in 2017, mm. but the founding team has since um, passed it on to you know, the current director, Cindy, who's like amazing. Um, we really wanted to have a platform to champion our artists, our Taiwanese American artists. And, you know, and being such a small community, it mm. wasn't just about the TA artists, but really like all underrepresented groups. Yeah. Because no one, Taiwan's so young and like we're so existential, you know, we got thrusts coming in from anywhere. Like we don't really know who we are. Yeah. And so we wanted like all these films and filmmakers to come together. And so we can start piecing together that identity for ourselves and, you know, discovering like certain like emotions that are so deeply embedded in our culture. Yeah. And like, yeah. And definitely, you know, something that has popped up again and again that you very rarely see in more like mainstream you know, American Hollywood type of films is like the threat of family. Yeah. Family relationships are so important. It's often reflected upon. Yeah. Um, that thread and, and being able to, I think it's very freeing for people to gather together in space and be like, oh yeah, that's my story. And like, oh yeah, everyone shares this story. So right, right, right. So, and you know, part of like the recent discussion around the API community has been that we're so overlooked and invisible and like unseen right yeah and i think all of these like small things that we do helps helps the greater yeah. collective and being seen yeah how has this film festival grown from the first year and now i think it's entering the fourth year right yeah. Oh my gosh, no. We already had the fourth year. I think this would be like the fifth, fifth year. year yeah. Um is the scale of the festival like keep growing, growing? Yeah. Um so last year because of the pandemic, yeah. uh it was moved online. Mm -hmm. But um I think the great thing about what Cindy is doing is like 
she's like expanding it to a different group of people. And I think it's always really encouraging to have like new filmmakers come in. Yeah. Um, and then like at the same time, discovering more like, so I was obsessed. So I was obsessed with this show on FXX called, um, you're the worst. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it, Mm -mm. but, um, one of the writers on it, uh, her name is April. She, she's like Ashley Tony's American. And it's like, it, it's such a amazing show and how it just it's like the anti-romantic sitcom in that it just portrays two people really at their worst and like mm. them falling in love and like what a thorny and like horrible process that can be mm. like throughout and it's so cleverly written mm. and i'm just like so impressed that like like she was part of, i don't know her personally at all i've never like never talked to her um but i think she just did such a great job and it was so relevant yeah and, like, you know edgy um so like yeah having like a platform to like surface people like this or even you know at our first film fest we had like charles Yu, mm-hmm. who was at that time the um story editor for westworld yeah. and now he has interior chinatown which I won book. i know national <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the national book award and like i think all of us are just like such fans of him yeah like um yeah just like bringing that community together is actually quite powerful yeah just like oh yeah i guess like there are people like me who, in, yeah. in case our listeners want to you know submit their films to this festival yeah. do you need to be a taiwanese to um, be okay, in this yeah. festival there's three criteria so um your key crew so writer director producer should be taiwanese or taiwanese american or the subject is taiwanese or taiwanese american mm. or the film is shot in taiwan um. and then you can find out more information on taff.la so t-a-f-f la is mm. the website yeah okay is mm-hmm. it like show films strictly yeah. sure um and we do do like a feature film screening as well so right. if you have features feel free to submit it or um you know reach out to the team how about yeah. animations oh yeah, yeah there's been great animations yeah. i think like funnily i wonder if it's it's where like um our artists really get like free reign to explore like all the crazies in their head but yeah. we've done we've received some like really awesome oh my god one of my favorite short films not an animation but it was called a new york bagel and it was literally about a bagel's adventure through new york oh, and it ends very dark and i'm I already hooked <laughs> i know yeah. oh my god I it was see. So, is yeah. it an animation no, no that one was that was an actual bagel and oh, they, yes it was, a, it was amazing Ooh. it was gr- great and and it was so hilarious because we noticed that all of our filmmakers like to end our films in a really dark way. That is very Taiwanese. Like, I know that is so hard. Like you think on the face of it, we're so bubbly and bright and like sunshine and smiling all the time, but inside we're so dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like Taiwanese people tend to like those kind of like ambiguously dark ending. Yeah. yeah, and I think that really <laughs> reflects how much anxiety we have probably in yeah. terms of our situation. Like, uh, and versus American cinema, they like clear, like happy ending yeah. most of the time. Most of the time, I think yeah. that's slightly changing up. Yeah, I think in the past like two or three years, like filmmaking and the way stories are told are so different. Yeah. Like you can, oh my god, like I don't know if you've like recently went back and rewatched any of your favorite movies from the nineties mm-hmm. or anything, but it's just it's it, so yeah. single minded. It's very single minded. Yeah. It's just it's very popular culture is like very pretty mainstream. woman yeah. yeah yeah it affirms so many bad stereotypes and just like yeah it's not real life it's no yeah, it's not real no, life it's, it's movies there was movies like, yeah, yeah those were like the movies yes 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 let's take a break be right back
This podcast is supported by Yellow Express. Do you have an Asian dad who has never said "I love you" to you? Yellow Express is here to open up all the emotionally unavailable Asian dads. What is Yellow Express and how does it work? You might wonder. Well, Yellow Express is a little yellow pill. They will adjust the neural chemicals in your dad's brain, and within 30 seconds of taking the pill, your dad will verbalize what you have always wanted to hear: "I love you." And he means it. Yellow Express is engineered by a group of Asian Stanford scientists who have never received love from their Asian dads. So Yellow Express currently only works on Asian dads. I have an Asian dad, cause obviously Yellow Express is three hundred sixty-five dollars per bottle, and each bottle contains three hundred sixty-five pills. Because Yellow Express knows you want daddy's love every single day throughout the year. I personally have daddy issues, so yeah, I need daddy's approval every day. Use the promo code Oliver to get your first bottle of Yellow Express for free. Asian loves free stuff, don't we? This commercial is created for entertainment purposes only. The product that was advertised does not exist. So when you are yeah. talking to uh, maybe an American or maybe an Asian American, do you yeah. bring up a different personality when you are talking to an like compared to when you are talking to an Asian like yeah. me from Asia? Well, I used to. There used to be like a very marked difference.、Mm. I remember when I just moved here for grad school, and then、uh, my best friend was Taiwanese, so she grew up in Taiwan. She went to college in Taiwan, and we were both at USC for grad school for Annenberg. And she said she hated hanging out with me when I was at like an American party、ah. because I would always like. I went so Annenberg is、uh, the communication school. It's where a lot of sorority girls are.、Yeah. So it's like very Southern California, very bubbly, and like people can't really stop talking, and everyone's like so extroverted and everything.、Yeah. Um, so I thought that was how, like, a popular person I guess should behave. So、right. then I would show up to places, and I think I would be like so over the top. And also, when you're in your twenties, like, I mean, you still know you have so much more energy, honestly. That is true. And now, most of the time. I am a little bit more tired, so I, I like to just maintain, just like just a sustainable level of、right. energy that can like get me throughout the day. Maybe you need to share your background with listeners a little bit. So you have biocultural background because you grew、yeah. up in Taiwan a little bit, and you also grew up in America a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So even like that, do you think? I think it's an advantage to be able to. You know, just like maneuver your personality to two different cultures.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I don't have that advantage because I grew up in Taiwan、mm-hmm. and I came to here when I was twenty three. Yeah. So my I've already passed my formative years.、Mm-hmm. So it took me a a few years for me、yeah. to actually know how to talk to an American. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to say like how old were you when you were in the United States? Oh yeah. Um. So I. Uh, our family moved here when I was eight,、uh-huh. and then we stayed until I was thirteen because、uh, my dad was getting his PhD.、Uh-huh. So I think that was like, yeah, the, like the formative time where、um, I was able to pick up the language without an accent.、Um, and then we moved back to Taiwan. So I spent my adolescence in、um, Taiwan, did college, worked there for a year, and then came back out for grad school. So I've been talking about like this bicultural identity a little bit recently, and. I think sure it's an adaptive advantage, but also at the same time, 
you do it because you don't really have a core sense of who you are. Mm. And then I think for a lot of kids, um, it's actually so important for a child when they're growing up to have this central sense of who they oh. are. It's actually a great advantage to yourself as you're growing up. Like you need to have a core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like knowing Spine. who you yeah. are. And like we're just adapting to the situation. And it's a lot of times people don't really get to find out who they authentically are. Mm. So then for me, it's like that extra journey of having to take that step of of actually knowing who I am and being like, oh yeah, maybe I'm just like naturally a little bit more low energy. And and now I'm more comfortable going into situations, like being a little bit more deadpan. Mm. So when yeah. your family first moved to the US, uh, what was the, like, the neighborhood like mm. you guys lived in? Is it diverse Ooh, the first <laughs> the first year we were here we were in florida oh so we were I didn't in know that. gainesville yeah yeah um gainesville is a small town it's very it's central florida so it's very like if you think about the stereotypes of florida it probably fulfills it mm -hmm. uh so it was a little rough um so many alligators on the street oh, i was they going were to ask you about that so many alligators that was that was like my first impression oh my a lot God. of spanish moss from the trees um just wild alligators yeah just like so much wildlife you know because it used to be a swamp oh my god um and then we were in, I think all the international students were grouped into this like worst school district. So usually in the States, that means, you know, it's like social economically disadvantaged like mm. kids. So like a lot of like black kids and then just a bunch of international kids. Mm. And um, I'm just wondering, how does this the school system work? So are you saying most students, most international students, they are required to go to an international school they are not able to go to like a normal american school no 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 um so for those type for the two like schools that my dad went to there was like specific like housing apartments for international students for oh, their phd students. i see yeah so because usually phd students are older and they have a family and they're right. international so it's also nice to be yeah. with other like international families because right. you know then you can like support each other and then, so for the school in upstate New York, that housing community was, for my first year there, it was for, like, the best school district. Right. It was for school 18. That was the school district. And then the next year, they redrew the districts. Yeah. And then, so, like, we dropped. Oh. We dropped to, like, school 14. <laughs> we went from 18 to 14. Yeah. There's definitely some politics involved. I know. Oh. No, definitely. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. they didn't want, like, the poor international So did you have to transfer? Um, yeah, so oh. fourth grade, I went to one school, and then fifth grade, I went to another school. Which is well, the 14. Yeah. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. So after graduate from uh, elementary school, and you have to go back to Taiwan, mm -hmm. was that a big adjustment to oh, you again too? There was a period of my life where I was like, wow, I switched schools like almost every year. Oh so, my god, yeah. Right, so if you think about it, in Taiwan, I did first grade, second grade. And then third grade, I moved to Florida. Fourth grade, I moved to upstate New York. And then fifth grade, my school district was redrawn. So I went to another school. And then sixth grade was when their middle school started. <laughs> so I went to another school. And then I did sixth and seventh grade in one school. And then eighth grade, I came back to the to Taiwan, right? Oh so it was it was really rough, yeah, like for me, for a child. Like, I think, yeah, yeah and just... like especially for someone who's not, I'm not like super extroverted. Uh -huh. Okay, because there's like so much constant adjustment, and I think that's why maybe that's why I have such like a weird large memory because mm. you know you have to like retain all these facts about your environment mm. and like just be vigilant all the time. 
it was super stressful. I hated my time, uh, my first five years. Uh, yeah. My five years back in Taiwan, I hated it, especially my first two years in middle school. Because yeah. you know how in Taiwan in middle school, when you get to the last year, you have to take an entrance exam to get yes. to high school. And like when I moved back to Taiwan, I didn't, I didn't really speak, read or write, you know, Mandarin, Mandarin Chinese. Yeah. So I basically had to start over and I started from um, four. So like the second year of middle school. So yeah. I had like a whole nother year that I missed that I had to catch up on. And like, it was just really bad. And that's, that's actually like where like my trauma comes from. And it was so funny because I didn't, and this is like how the human brain like really tries to save you from trauma and like really buries it deep. I was in um, therapy for five years mm -hmm. and just like talking about my mom for five years. I was like, oh, I guess this is the source of my trauma until all of a sudden one session. I was like talking to my therapist. I was like, oh, hey, yeah. Did I mention to you like I was beaten for a year at school by my science teacher when I first moved back to Taiwan? Oh, my she was God. Like, what? And I was <laughs> like, oh, I guess that's why I hated this so much. I right. guess that is the source of my trauma. Um, so, yeah, no, I hate, I fucking hated it. Then do you notice, like, the way that you you have to adjust the way that you make friends after you go back to Taiwan? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's really hard. I didn't, I don't think in middle school I had, honestly, a lot of friends. But I think, you know, I have that really, like, pragmatic, like, daughter of an engineer attitude. I'm just like, I'm just here to get through two years of school, get into high school. I don't need to make friends. No yeah. one likes me. It's fine. Um. No, I, I think it was hard because uh, the kids in my class didn't like me. I remember you mentioned to me that you said like after you went back, a lot of your classmates thought you are like a really loud person. Yeah. Because yeah, I guess in America, they yeah. value like you need to speak up. You yes. need to grab attention and stuff like yeah. that. But Taiwanese people, we are like, oh, we need to be silent. We need to yes. be invisible. You need to fit in. You need to I fit think, in. Yeah, yes. Just, just blend in. Yeah. Um, no, like because in the States... I think I was so respected as an individual person, right? right? As a child, as a student. Like when I was growing up, I know now people make fun of the term snowflake. Yeah. But like we kind of were taught like everyone is an individual snowflake. Everyone's unique in their own way. Right. So I'm sure like I just unconsciously picked that up along the way. Yeah. Um, and then when I got back, I would like raise my hand <laughs> in the middle of class to ask questions. And see, like, I like how you laugh because that's, like, preposterous. It's yeah. like, why would she ask questions? <laughs> so, right? And, like, so apparently, like, apparently the kids in my class, like, afterwards, they said, oh, remember when you first moved back and you would raise your hand and ask questions? Yes. Like, what is that? <laughs> I know. Uh, and so that was just, like, I guess my Americanness, And yeah. also, like, I talk with my hands a lot. Yeah. You know, and people stay quite still when they're talking in general in Asia. Um, so I was just, I was just, like, I stuck out a lot. Speaking of rebel, so what are some of the things you have always been trying to rebel against your parents? There's too many. Pick one, I Oh, guess. my God. I'm just... I'm, I'm like, so my parents are, I, I don't know how typical they are, but they are very conservative Taiwanese parents. And most of my Asian American friends here, if they have like a Taiwanese mom, usually if I feel like it's like a very similar story, I don't know if Taiwanese moms like of that generation is just like more conservative or mm. something. But um, my parents are also government workers, mm -hmm. which means in Taiwan, like they have a stable lifelong job so they've never changed jobs so they don't understand when there's like fluxes in the market and the economy they don't mm. understand what it feels like to be a freelance like like you know they're very sheltered very bubble right i went home last wait last time i went home or something my dad asked me 
what is a club? He is like, well, yeah, because um, he was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to meet my college friends like here. And then he was like, yeah, let me like take you there, drop you off. And then he's like, oh, yeah, later I Google that place. It was just like a bar. It was yeah. like a lounge, like a bar. And then because he saw the photo with like the bar and all the bottles of alcohol. And then he was like, did you go to a club? <laughs> and like he said club like it was so foreign. And then I was like, uh, no. And I was like, why do you ask? He's like. I thought he was going to, like, get on my case or something because my parents are so strict. But I am, like, a fully grown woman now. But he was just like, oh, I was just wondering what a club is. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> my parents are so disconnected from society. Was he like, asking that because he thought clubs are bad? I oh. I think partly. Yeah. And, and I remember, like, one of the questions you sent me was, like, would I ever move back to Taiwan? Yeah. And if I had the toys... I would definitely visit. My family is still there. I have a lot of good friends from college and high school there. Yeah. I don't know if I can live there long term just because I don't feel accepted at all in that society, especially I think by my parents. Mm. I think that's the worst thing. Like mm. I am so far outside of their comfort zone. Like, yeah, nothing I do makes sense like to them because some of it is like I feel like everything I do and say is like not accepted. Um Oh, the funniest thing was like, so I feel like I worked so hard, so hard. And I, I knew like every step of the way I was in a way rebelling against like my mom because she's like, when I got a boyfriend in college, she didn't like the fact that he was an English lit major. She was like, oh no, he needs to be like in the sciences so you guys can balance. Like, so nothing I do was ever right, right? Or I played in the um, volleyball, like freshman cup oh, like, tournament. Wow. And yeah, and I really liked it. And yeah. then I told her and she's like, are you going to be a tomboy? Like, are boys going to like you? And then so it was after that, then I told her, I was like, no, actually, yeah, I am seeing someone. And then she was like, oh, but he's like English. So like every every single step that I take along the way is like never correct and never right. And then so when I finally got to when I was 30 and then I was working at a tech startup. So it was like this job, it was in entertainment. I was learning so much. I was growing so much. And I was like, you know, the youngest like woman there, a woman. And I was like a woman of color. And I felt like I was, yeah, just like really making major contributions to things in general. Um, and I told her about that. Then she was like, oh, well, you're like, you're, you're so devoted to work. You're in a female <laughs> executive now. Like, oh, like that's, I know. So I was she like, she can nothing, never be happy with no, you. No, like nothing I do could ever be right. So, so I think it did get to a point where, I did have to like accept that. Yeah. Just like nothing I do will, will be enough. And I, I need to let that go. Like I won't be able to get validation from her and that's okay. Do you still yeah. tell your mom why you do? Very rarely now. <laughs> I only, I only give her like a very filtered version. Right. So I recently worked on that, you know, clubhouse competitor fam app. And then, you know, we got the article on X shark and stuff. So then, you know, I'll just like send the link to the article to our family chat and I'll be like, oh, yeah, this is a recent project we worked on. Really happy to be amplifying, you know, like a Taiwanese American brand and stuff. And then so now she's just like, oh, OK, that's good. <laughs> that's like all she because she doesn't understand. She yeah, never, she's like, she, what's Clubhouse? What's fame? I know. What's an app? <laughs> I know. What is an app? Yeah, like she just doesn't because she also because her job was she was the executive assistant to um kind of like the head guy at her branch of the company. Yeah. But she's never had to shoulder decisions. She's mm. never had to, you know, do all these things. Like, yeah, so I just, 
Yeah, I don't think she understands who I am at all. Has your mom ever commented on your look? Mm. Yeah, it seems like that is something really matters to her. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, and it's such an Asian mom thing to like pick you apart. I think as an Asian woman in Asia, like your body and your face is like up for public discussion all the time. Right. So yes, uh, there was uh, one special incident that stood out in my head when um. I was 18 and I just like finished up with high school. High school is quite grueling in Taiwan because you have to do the entrance exam. And me being like very pragmatic, like I'm like, no, I'm just, I don't, I I literally told myself in freshman year, I was like, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to date boys. I'm not going to even look at boys because all I want is just to get into like the best school. And that is my goal. And like, literally that's what I did for three years. But then like, you know, during the process, I gained so much weight and then, um, And then when I finally got, I think, into college, so I was accepted and we were just like walking down the street one day, me and my mom were going to lunch and then out of nowhere, and this is what she does all the time, which is why it's so like, so scary sometimes hanging out with her because you just don't know when things are going to pop up, when like it's going to strike her fancy. She was like, you know, um, your nickname, Yaya, which means um, little girl, like Yato in Mandarin. you know, it's not for little girl. It's actually ya ya, which is duck duck. Mm. And she was like, you know, I nicknamed you that because when you were born and I held you and I just wanted you to grow up to be a beautiful swan. Mm. And and it was like that weird, oh, slow sinking feeling of like, oh, my God, my mom gave birth to me. She held me and she thought I was ugly. Right. And oh she's my God. been thinking I was ugly for 18 years. And now yeah. in her head, she's doing me a favor by giving me a compliment because yeah. she's like, I'm telling you this now because because you've grown to be a beautiful swan. You know, I think that's her reasoning in her head then. And I was just so shocked I couldn't speak. Yeah. So I think she thought it was just like she should just keep on talking. And then so she asked me if I wanted to get like eyelid surgery because mm, yeah. um. Because also like that European look, which is popular in East Asia, which is also horrible. is like you want to have bigger eyes to look prettier. And then it was just and I think to this day. Oh, yeah. One of my ways of rebelling against it is. um, I've all I have my dad's eyes, which is like not I don't have those double lids. Mm. It only popped up when I was in college and it was like really only one eye and this other eye is starting to coming in. Yeah. I'm getting older. But um. I was like, no matter how my eyes look, and I know like it would be easy surgery and stuff, and it probably would make me look more conventionally attractive. Yeah. I was like, I am not getting that surgery. Right, just because my mom I said know, I need it. I know, I'm <laughs> not getting it. I'm gonna yeah. like, I was like, what if one day I have a daughter and then like, I can't explain to her why she should love her own eyes because right. you know, I changed my eyes. I was like, oh my God, I can't live with that. Um, oh, once I used the Facetune app, do so you remember how you can uh-huh. make your, face look older like a man or whatever so i made my face look older i sent it to her in our family group chat she just went silent for the longest time (laughs) she like couldn't deal with it and then i was like oh it's an app it's a filter and she was like oh she was like yeah i was thinking like what happened to your pretty face so it was definitely the scapegoat child because uh she just wanted me to be her right she wanted me to be this like little princess and wear dresses. I remember having the worst fight with her when I was like 
three or four because she wanted me to wear a dress mm. to go out. And then I remember throwing a huge tantrum and not wanting to wear a dress. But then she put me in a dress anyways. It was, oh my God. It was like pink stripes. <laughs> it had a lacy apron. It was just like the most frilly. And I like fucking hated it to the point that my high school email address was pink is not for me at <laughs> yahoo.com. <I know. laughs> like still holding on to it. I was so mad. Like no, and then oh um, but uh, my brother was he's sociable too, but he's not as extrovert as I am. Mm. He doesn't need like a bunch of social things going on. He likes to read. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. loves yeah. musicals. Oh, he's I'm, you know, so he's like yeah. the perfect child when he was growing up. Where it was like I was asking for money to buy clothes and these frivolous materialistic things. Yeah, he was asking for money to buy books. Uh, oh yeah. So to my mom, that's like, like oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I know. And then they would listen to these like musical CDs together and yeah. shit. Um. But as adults, when we were talking, he did say he um, he's not as close to my dad. And I think I have a better relationship with my dad than he does. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. I remember you, you, you said this to me, like after the divorce, you actually had more opportunities to be more adventurous with your sex life. Yeah. Like, can you give me some examples that you did to explore your wild side? Um, I'm sure you are on apps and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, the pandemic was really hard for me being someone, you know, single and like living alone. Like, thankfully, I have my two dogs. But like, it did get to points where I was like, oh, my God, I just need to be like physically touched. Yeah. But then more towards the end of the pandemic. And then um, I I met this like scientist person on on Bumble. And it was really interesting because he was like, he started asking me if I was into girls or if I like made out with girls and stuff. Ooh. And then, and then, so obviously I asked him back and he's like, I think he's exploring his Ooh. bisexuality. So he's like, um, he's, um, he's been sucked off before. Mm -hmm. He, so he's the one who's always like receiving. He hasn't like sucked another dick. Yeah. Um, and he's like thinking about maybe being Referring like, to me. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. So like I found that whole aspect of, cause I had never really considered like bisexual boys or like men having sex with each other I was like oh do I find that hot like right. and then he was like tall-ish and like dark and just like also my physical look as well and I like guys with a little bit of chest hair and yeah. stuff and he had like the perfect amount of hair and it was just like looked really cute um and then so the way he was talking about it and talking about how he was like kind of exploring that uh -huh. and like having guys come over or what he enjoyed Ooh. like that was just so interesting that it was a turn on for me oh. yeah and then to the point where like i considered i think i mentioned to you i try like uh you know like matching with girls on tinder yeah. and then for a while i considered dating like couples because oh. you know to be the third did you tell me that i don't think i don't think i told yeah. you that because it was just real it's it's very effortful to find two people that you're attracted oh, to exactly. one person is hard yeah. two people the guy and the girl and it's just like, I was like, oh, this is so much effort. I don't want to put in so much effort. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, but it would be super hot if it was like a guy and he wanted to bring in another guy. And then the other guy was like, maybe get. I think it's also that openness of a dude being like open uh -huh. to that. Of like letting another man like near his body. and right. like, Oh, I see. That is like really sexy to me because it's like something really honest and authentic right 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 and yeah right. Oh and I was like, yeah i know so i was like Ooh. do you tell people up front that uh you were divorced yeah no. if it comes up naturally i try to 
I want like less matches, but I want the matches to like actually like me for who I am. That right. is like my general strategy. And I was really worried when I first got divorced. I was like, oh my God, I'm so old. Like no one, you know, I'm gonna have no one to date. Like all the guy friends I knew around me were partnered up or like were married. I was like, who's actually gonna be single? Yeah. And then you do realize that we live in a big city of creatives. People are moving here all the time, breaking up all the time, divorcing all the time. Right. It's um not quite a problem for us, thankfully, mm. in a city. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a break. Be right back. This podcast is supported by Visa, Vulnerable International Student Association, an online course that teaches vulnerable international students tips and tricks on how to survive in America. I was once an international student, literally didn't know a thing about America and had so many confusions and difficulties. It wasn't just an English issue. It was a lot of day-to-day -day life questions. Where is the nearest Asian market? Do I use Fantran or Uber Eats? What's the difference between Marshalls, Ross, and DD Discount? How do I move in with my American lover? And also follow-up question. Where can I find sugar daddies? Trust me, you want to know the answer. Vulnerable International Student Association is here to provide you with the knowledge that you need to study in the United States of America. We are offering a 200-episode online course covering all topics you want to know as an international student. Now go online to vulnerableinternationalstudentassociation.com to start your one-day trial. The complete course is only $499 class credits are not transferable. Use your promo code OLIVER to get one bonus episode where I share some tips on how to survive in America if you are lactose intolerant. This commercial is created for entertainment purposes only. The product that was advertised that does not exist. I know you had some workshops about cross-cultural communication right, yes. mm -hmm. right, in the past. Yes. And then can you... Because I am an international student, I was an international student as yes. well, and then I understand that sometimes coming from a different country, you you don't really know how to adapt to a new communication pattern because the yeah. way people talk is different in each country. Mm -hmm. Just we talk about like in Taiwan, people speak a little indirectly, mm -hmm. and but America, you need to tell people what you think, like really clear. Yeah. There's no uh like gray area for interpretation yeah but taiwan is different like people read between the lines yeah. in taiwan yeah yeah so so i think like to start off with um so people say like writing styles and thinking styles like the american writing and thinking style is quite just like it's a straight line it's like an arrow yeah and then for like chinese or east asians it's almost like a spiral right? because you start off from one point and then you kind of like meander over onto another point and then you bring it back. And it's like, you're just never really touching upon this like subject, but you're just like hitting all the peripherals. Oh, yes. And then it's up to the reader to kind of construct it in their mind. Yes. Which I think makes the people in general more attuned yeah. to everyone. And you pay attention to other people and to things. And you're more, you're part of like a collective, right? You're yeah. more considerate. And then in the American way of speaking, it's, yeah, sure. It's more efficient and it's more direct, but it also means that people don't really pay attention sometimes to right. other people. Yeah. Um, 
And then I started doing a little bit more research and digging into it. There's part of this theory that there's different dimensions of communication across cultures. And one that I found particularly relevant was this high context versus low context Mm. culture, where in the States, it's very low context, as in, I don't need to know the context because you're literally telling me everything. Oh, right, 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 right. It's like, here you go on a date. This is something I recently learned. I did not know this because this doesn't exist in Taiwan. As a woman, when you go on a date, apparently like after the first date, if you like the guy, you kind of have to let him know like, hey, I'd like to see you again. Oh, I, I didn't know, know that. Like, Why is the woman has to do well, that? Well, I get it because it's also respectful because it's like the guy doesn't want to assume, right, oh. that you just like want to see him again and stuff. And like, it's kind of like maybe the decision is up to the woman after the first day. It's like, I oh, see. yeah, do you want to continue? Which is nice and very respectful. Right. But I did not know this. And it's like... The first couple of times I had to do it, I felt so awkward. People really like it when you like directly compliment them. Yeah. So it's like, if you think they're cute or whatever, you have to tell them like, oh yeah, cause you're really cute. Yeah. And like this would never happen in Asian dating, yes. right? It was just like the, you're just touching the peripherals right. of the topic. Maybe you would be like, oh, like you look really nice in this shirt. And maybe you wouldn't even go that far. Right. Like, it's like, I don't know. so blunt yeah. and it's like embarrassing i like the pictures that you take stuff yes. like that or like oh your writing style <laughs> yeah is so like emotive and emotional <laughs> right like yeah you wouldn't just be like oh you're really good looking yeah you know? I, let's do it <laughs> yeah I, no, no like no. no that's just like that's that's crass and yeah. that's like just uncivilized yeah um so yeah so that's what you have to do and that is that would be a good example of low context yeah. right because you spell everything out there's no right. context and then whereas like in um, more types of Asian discourses, like whether or not it's at work or even with your parents. Mm. Um, I think recently I was talking to my parents about um, uh, wiring money, right? Mm. And then I found as I was, because I was writing in Chinese, I was like, instead of saying like, oh yeah, and then you can wire the money, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh yeah, and then if you can just go to the bank and then whatever. (laughs) That's why you never point out what it is exactly. Yeah, and in Taiwan, if you talk about all the achievement that you did, people will be like, oh my, wow, you've been so arrogant. So arrogant. Like, oh, I remember my college friend saying like, hey, you did a good job with the Taiwanese American Film Festival. I was like, hey, thanks. And then they're like, Haha, you can't just say thank you. You have to be like, no, no, not at right, all. Right. It's like, not just me. It's I know. everybody's help. Or no, not <laughs> even that. You have to be like, no, it was such a small festival. Right. No, like, no, we it's barely. Nothing. I know. Even we the president so was here. I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, like, yeah, it's so bad. Like, no. no. And then, yeah, so um, yeah, so like that. But more recently, I have noticed, I think there's a second more major component, is that um I think Americans connect very differently, emotionally connect. Yeah. I think Americans are very aversive to being emotionally connected with other people. That's true. Or they have like a lot more boundaries and walls that you have to go through before you can like really authentically connect with them. Yeah. And I think it's just, there's no such hurdle, I think, for Taiwanese friendships. Mm. Whereas like if you like someone, it's very natural that you can talk about quite intimate subjects very quickly. Yeah. But with like Americans, there's more, right? There's like, there's more private, certain things yeah. are like, yeah. And so I, that was something I realized more recently. I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. Yeah. This is why I feel like I can't have like best friends sometimes who are just, you know, they're like totally American people who didn't grow up overseas and stuff. Cause 
because they're not. Right. They don't want that type of intimacy. Yes, yeah. exactly. I remember somebody I forgot who told me that he was like, I think we went to a, a a person's house, an American friend's house, and I I didn't think that was a big deal. But then my friend told me, oh, it's a big deal that he he invite you to his house. Yeah. Yeah, because. They usually don't invite people to their house if unless they really like you or want to right. be friend with you. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like their personal space. It's like, like personal yeah, space. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So I was reading this book. Uh, it's written by this author called Erin Mayer, and then mm-hmm. she is a cross culture. Oh yeah, she's That's a- the book. Yeah, I read. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. She she is a cross culture communication expert, totally, and then yeah. she was saying that like. Let's say in a work meeting, and then if there are like international people like coming from different country, and then if somebody say, "Hey, does anybody has a question?" American will always be the first one who raise their hand. Yeah, and then Americans are trained to speak even if they don't have anything actual to say. Yeah. So let's say if I say. Uh, so let's talk about uh this work project. I think we we need to meet the deadline by January. Does anybody have any opinions? And then people will probably will be, Taiwanese people will be like, well, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah. And then Americans will like, oh yeah, I totally agree with you. I think we need to do it by January because blah 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 yeah. blah 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 stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. They need to keep talking, adding thoughts, although yeah. they are not actually providing new information. Yeah. <laughs> and this was like one of the things that I also had wanted to address in a corporate place was like. So it's not only when you're a student, but when you start working, a lot of, if, especially if you're in a bigger company and you have like these meetings, I think a lot of times, you know, international students may not realize they need to speak up yes. at the meeting. Yes. Even if it's just something like repeating, like, like you paraphrasing. To, it's yeah. almost like, I think Americans have this, it's like you need to take up space. Yes. You need to take up space both with the way you sit. So it's like, not to sit, you know, all folded up, like kind of sit more spread out. And also with like just words. And then you need to like assert yourself. And for me too, like one of my nightmare questions in an interview is always like at the end of, end of the interview, they'll be like, hey, do you have any questions? And a lot of times I feel like we've already covered right, so many topics. I feel the same way. Yeah. And then, so then I had to like start preparing myself for that question. Like, you know, like before I go into in interviews, I would think about like what question I would yeah. ask. Because it's almost like, oh, if you don't have a question, you're not like really thinking about this. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, well, no, maybe because I already have so much experience, I can already anticipate the things that, you know, that's going to happen. Like, I'm fine. Like, yeah. um, I feel like it sounds like we are shitting on American communication. But what are some of the advantages that you notice about? It's very clear. It's always quite clear. And I don't have to second guess. right? Right. Like. If my boss tells me I'm doing a good job, I know I'm doing a good job. Yeah. It's not like that we are passive aggressive, like Asian American oh, yeah, boss who's like, stuff. I know, yeah. I know. So, um, yeah. And if your teammates are like, oh my God, you did a good job and whatever. I think there's more of a sense of like congratulating others and yeah. wanting success for other people. Yeah. That is not as evident in Taiwanese culture. Yeah. I think it's like, you you never want to talk about your success in Taiwanese mm, culture, right? Yeah. But here, and I think especially in LA, it's like almost like very celebrated. Like, yeah. Yeah, I know. And I remember like when, when, when I was in Taiwan, like, I mean, I went to film school in Taiwan. And then if you finish a film, you need to thank everybody. I mean, obviously you need to thank everybody, but also at the same time, it's like you don't want to sh- you don't want to let people know you are actually the mastermind mm-hmm. a- behind this project. Yeah. Like 
although I'm the mastermind of this project, but the reason why this project happened is because yes. I have all my friends. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's not actually my efforts only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which in a way is it's, nice. It's nice, yeah. yes, definitely. Yeah. But sometimes it does erase like your own individual identity. Exactly. And yeah. like people don't, people forget their own competence, I think. Let's wrap up this interview. Okay. Yeah. Well, some of the like a pet peeve when you go on a date and you feel like this guy is trying to dominate you. Oh, so um, because I I don't and especially I think as an Asian woman, a lot of times people don't think of Asian women as particularly like loud or like right. strong or assertive, but yeah. I am quite like assertive and decisive. So it's like you do have to enjoy that. Uh, I definitely usually will ask at a certain point, I try to do it on the first day or even before that, if they give me weird vibes, like, do you date a lot of Asian women? Mm. And then um, I think sometimes guys don't know how to answer that, which is sure, like, you know, they just, they don't want to offend you and they they want to let you know, like, no, 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 you know, like, I date all kinds of women and whatever. And yeah. sometimes they go a little overboard, but you can tell when they're just like trying to be sincere and trying to make you feel better. But then I have literally heard people who are just like, well, let's say I enjoy um, a diversity of cultures. And then when you, but the diversity of cultures that you enjoy somehow always end up being East Asian. Right. It's like very weird. Japanese, yeah. Korean, I Taiwanese. Know. Yeah, like, so diverse. Your ex was Taiwanese and that's like kind of weird as well. Yeah. Or like, I think I told you I have like, I have a dick joke in my profile. Yeah. And then um, sometimes it's a tiny bit annoying when, See, this involves a insightful understanding of the dynamics of what makes a dick joke work in a heterosexual, <laughs> like online dating, like dynamic, right? Me making the dick joke is funny because I'm a straight woman and like straight women usually don't make dick jokes, right. especially on such a sincere and genuine platform as Bumble. Exactly. And it's like a little bit more conservative and buttoned up. Um, so that's like funny and surprising and eye-catching. But when a guy makes it, it's no longer funny, surprising, or like eye-catching because that is so expected of guy humor. Yeah, yeah. It's no, it's, a, it's, it's no longer a clever it's cliche. Thought. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's cliched. It's like been done a thousand times before. Yeah. Or then other guys will be like, "Oh, well, then maybe I should make like a pussy joke." Right. And then one like pussy, the term pussy, we need to you know discuss it. Like, right. how would women feel about you using the term pussy? Number one, and then two, it's like. No, women don't find pussy funny. Like it's yeah. not that funny when you make fun of it. Exactly. Like, yeah. So, um, so I don't. Yeah, I don't like it when they try to like out, out funny me or. I don't. It's not a competition, and also, I really enjoy making people laugh. Right. I really enjoy that process of like making a guy that I like laugh. Yeah. And it is actually a slight turn off to me if they don't laugh or they don't think I'm funny. Yeah. Because some, you know, everyone has the different sense of humor, and my humor is a little bit dry and like very like underhanded and sometimes you don't catch it yeah. so you know these things still come up yeah right now you are dating older men oh i was oh you now were. i'm not like yeah oh. there, i went through a period where like i dated a couple of they were 50 I think. yeah yeah mm -hmm. do you date guys younger than you i i don't mind it but uh -huh. honestly it's the emotional maturity oh i see that right like really gets me like right. yeah so it's just because i feel like i'm like 500 years old on the inside so that, that already tree makes it, on the inside. i know i'm a tree <laughs> yeah so that already makes it hard um like for me uh i always date guys who are older than me yeah. or at least sex with guys who are older than uh -huh, me yes because just like you said 
sex with people more skillful it's just more enjoyable sure yes yeah. and uh but do you not find are they able to get hard like as fast do you have uh, to work harder? Uh, sometimes you have to work really hard yeah yeah okay yeah. Cool. and you yeah. don't mind that yeah um i might okay yeah okay. because yeah. it's it's like why are you not hot already it's like, i know am i not hot and then not hot <laughs> like why do i look like you're not Attracted to my young hot body. Right, it's like I work so hard for my body, for my butt. <laughs> right? Yeah. What's your favorite body part about yourself? My legs. Nice. What do you look for, like when you want to have sex with someone, what do you look at first? Like what turns you on physically? Just for sex? Or, or both or whatever. Or, or, yeah. Or for, uh... Well, I mean, face. <laughs> okay. okay, that's awesome. Face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not everyone's into face, honestly. Well, I mean, if we yeah. are do doing doggy style, I don't care about face. <laughs> <laughs> right. Doggy uh -huh. style is invented for a reason. <laughs> oh, no. Snap, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And I think just in a sense, I, I mean, this is a generalization, but I do have to say guys who are older, they tend to have a stable life. And that's also that's what true. I'm looking for in a boyfriend too. Because yeah, yeah, I don't want to date a guy who is still figuring out, oh, what I yeah. want to do with my life. And the thing you talk about, like, I think I'm interested in things that I've not explored. Uh -huh. But people who are younger than me, the yeah. things they are going through are yeah. probably the things they have gone through already. Yeah. Like, looking for an internship yeah. and like trying to uh i don't know build your career and those kind of stuff i'm no longer interested mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but would you say like you very much enjoy that process of being guided yes i want okay. a mentor yes i think yeah. that's what yeah i can tell that's what you like yeah do you like to be a mentor or be i don't think i'm very and this is something i've been reflecting on more recently i don't think i'm very comfortable with being like helped out or uh, mentored and i think that might be something i need to like soften up on a little yeah. bit because um as i was dating you know the two like older guys that i went out on dates with um i think yeah there's something about them being super established in their career which is like sure super nice and assuring but then it makes me i'm like oh my god do i need to be super established mm. too to date him and i'm sure they're not even thinking about that right um but I was like, oh, yeah, that is weird. Because I'm sure a lot of women who date older guys, it's not like, oh, my God, I want to be on the same, like, career level. It's more like, oh, my God, like, take me out to dinner. Right. Yeah. Take care of me. <laughs> I want to be safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Buy me groceries. I know. <laughs> buy, me, buy me purses. <laughs> right. Um, so I think there's, like, something in the dynamic there where I'm not able to, like, relax into my most comfortable self, which is funny. Right. Yeah, so, like, which kind of sucks as well, because I want to just, like, sit back be and equal. be taken care of. Do you want to be sometimes. equal? I do. I really right. enjoy an equal partnership. Right. <laughs> that's something that's so great. What are some of the tips that you, you, you think a person should do in their profile in order to get dates? I think being authentic is important. Mm. I think, like, not wasting anyone's, you know, time. Um, but I also get that not everyone knows who they are authentically. That's so true. I think that is a, but then I think that's part of the dating process is probably why it's so difficult is because you have to face yourself right. as much as you're trying to find the person you get along with. 
And a lot of times, maybe your expectations of yourself doesn't match with other people, how they view you. you. Yeah. And I think that's like really difficult to swallow sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like you can just start business just giving people branding advice for dating <laughs> profile. I, I mean, maybe. I'm so, yeah. Like, yeah, hit me up. I, well, will, I will review your profile and give you suggestions. So let's say if you are going to give me branding tips for some yeah. of the things that you would say, hey, Oliver, I think this is what you should do in your either dating profile or on Instagram. Well, so usually yeah. as with any like sort of branding process, you kind of want to have like the interview process, right? Of like what you think of yourself, like mm. what, what is your story? Mm. What, what do you think are your, you know, like strength? What are some of your weaknesses? What are you looking for? Yeah. What kind of vibe do you want to get across? And what type of people do you want to attract? Right. Yeah. Are you really asking me or are you giving uh, you me? Can, yeah, we oh, can, okay. you can, yes, you can get a free consultation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm promoting your business. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well, I think I'm a pretty real person. I mm. think I don't try to hide myself. I, especially as a comedian, you really need to be as honest as possible with right. your audience. Yeah. I talk about, you know, my sexuality on stage, my family and my HIV positive status yeah. on stage. So I feel like I have nothing to hide. Yeah. Yeah. And uh But it's like what is that's but that's like so much information right. and you can't like fit all of that into, you know, a couple of sentences or whatever. It's yeah. like when people are scrolling through all these profiles, what I guess, what are you hoping that catches their attention? Mm. Are you looking for some uh, adjectives? Or like Just whatever. Because uh, yeah. like for me, I was like, oh, I guess I want to get across the fact that I'm, I'm a pretty positive person. Oh, I see. And like, uh, yeah. And I'm, you know, probably not super, super girly. And like, yeah. Well, I want people to know I am, I'm a funny person. Mm -hmm. And then uh, <laughs> I am intellectual. Yeah. Sure. That is important. I want... <laughs> I want yes. people to think I'm smart. Okay, cool. Okay, I think yeah. that's come from insecurity where I need external validation. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it's yeah. like I want people to tell me I'm smart. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I... Oh, one thing I noticed, I usually say in my dating profile, I read books. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I was like, oh, well, then do you mention that you read books? I, yes, and I will talk about the favorite books that I so like. Has, I, I don't know how this works in like the gay world. So yeah. then do, do has people messaged you and been like, hey, what like books have you read recently? Yes, okay, cool. not a lot, but some. Okay, cool, yeah, cool, yeah, that's how I filter people out. Yeah, no, that's a good, yeah, yeah good filter. Yeah, and uh, I... It depends on the app, but I do want people to know I'm sexual. I, yeah. I love sex. Yeah. And I think that's something that you can talk about in gay dating apps. Oh, but, totally. I, but I don't know yeah. about heterosexual dating apps. I don't, yeah, yeah. I think there's still a little bit of that, you know, especially for my age group and generation. Like, I don't know how it's perceived when a straight woman is super upfront about it. Right. Although I do talk about, you know, dick in my profile. So. Let's say if <laughs> that, that straight men usually say about sex in their dating profile. Um, I do see sometimes they'll be like under what makes a relationship great. They'll be like sex. They'll oh, be like great sex. Okay. But it won't be like super. I don't. Well, I don't know. I have come across a few profiles that are like, you know, kink friendly or yeah. like you must be adventurous in bed or something like and that. And was yeah. there a turn on or turn off for you? Or it's I just fine, it, neutral? It's neutral. But usually those profiles, I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to get along with them because they're so sex forward. It seems like it seems like that's what they value above oh, everything else. I see. Yeah. But I feel like 
gray sex comes along as like when you really get along with a person and you enjoy them and you have like similar you know values and stuff mm. i think usually that will bring good sex yeah i want you to share a story that you told me before oh I, okay. yeah so i you mentioned that you had sex with a south american person no away or somebody i don't know and this guy okay. said oh the sex was passionate oh yeah so like oh. it shows you like how people from different country perceive yeah. sex oh my god yeah no i was yeah so um yeah i dated this guy for a little bit and then um and he was like definitely a very thinking oriented person yeah. whereas like i'm probably more of a feelings first person yeah um so it it wasn't like a great it wasn't like a supernatural pairing and then so it was like just i think both of us trying to find footing and like oh will this work out will this not work out and then so i was so impressed when like this dude who like deals in like finance and stuff at, like just doesn't have that many like excess feelings floating around. And then once when we were talking over text or something, and then he was like, you know, yeah, that was like really great last night. And it was, or like, did he tell me in person? I can't remember, but we were doing like a recap of the sex session. And he was like, yeah, you know, like it was, it was so passionate and I really liked it. And like that really moved me because no one had ever described sex as passionate. The sex that I had with men like before, because also, you know, I, I think like the cultures of men are either Asian or they're like American. I don't think these two cultures really think of sex that way. It's funny because like I think I was talking about this with one of my girlfriends and was like, I think the way American men describe sex, if they're like really into it, would be like, oh, it was exciting. It was fun. Yeah, it, was it was fun. fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, that was great. Um I don't know how would Taiwanese men describe. It? I don't. You they don't talk you about. Yeah, it. yeah, you wouldn't really talk about it. You wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. You would just be like, yeah, just skip over it. Where does this guy that you stepped with come from? Um, he's American, oh, but, but he spent a lot of time in South America. Oh, I see. Yeah, I and see. then um, yeah, and then so I was like, oh yeah, that is such, that is such a you know latin culture thing is right. the passion yeah. and like that's such an important ingredient of life and it's yeah. like something to be sought after in a romantic relationship and i was yeah. like oh that's and you know obviously there's like downfalls to certain things of dating within you know that type of culture but like yeah. but that part i really appreciated right it's like oh yeah we should all think of sex as like passionate right because then it's it's not just fun. It's not just for fun recreational like, purposes. I know a crossword puzzle can be fun. <laughs> like, no, it's like it involves more of your like feelings and your heart, and it's like an engaging everything. of like everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. Create that like fire, dude. As a gay man, I have to say, I I really need to try to to be like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you know reciprocating in that way yeah but yeah but if you're having sex for the purpose of passion yeah then it's like it's different all the all the judging criteria becomes like different right yeah you're not really thinking like oh are you going down on me right like, right 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 how many times did you come how many times did i come yeah it's like oh we're creating we're pursuing passion together. Yeah. That is really a highest level. That is to such achieve. a high level. Yeah. Dude. So, uh, not a lot of people can do I that. I know. And hence, like, 
honestly, I feel like I know like dating is super, super frustrating for everyone and for myself included. But I think the reason why I do enjoy it is because I enjoy growth and I love all these different people who have like brought these different experiences to my life. Yeah. Even though sometimes it doesn't end great. Right. And which is like a bummer. But like the fact that you get to I would I I would rather die having known like this passionate concept <laughs> than like having died without knowing this right yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i'm definitely going to have a photography session with you yeah for sure. no definitely yeah. let's do it yeah okay so the book that i mentioned when leah and i were discussing about the cross-cultural communication is called the cultural map breaking through the invisible boundaries of global business and it's by Aaron Mayer, who is like an expert in global uh, communication. So basically, this book teaches business how to communicate people from different countries, especially when they are in a work setting, because people need to be on the same page. They need to understand what each other are saying, not just intellectually, but also culturally. So basically, this book is like a practical guide teaching you how to navigate the cultural differences. However, I don't think you need to be a business person to read this book. As long as you're interested in different cultures and how people talk differently, hey, definitely check it out. The cultural map breaking through the invisible boundaries of global business. And of course, if you want a photo shoot session, check out my friend Lian Chen's website by lianchen.com and spelled as b-y-l-i-e-n-c-h-e-n.com Alright cuties, I'm going to clock out. Let's get into this.